Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you on this long weekend. Isn't it so good to have Pastor Kristen back after one year of maternity leave? She didn't miss a beat up here doing the announcements and uh, welcoming everybody. So, uh, so good to have you back, uh, Kristen. We missed you. And Pastor Alicia has done a phenomenal job, but we have missed you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been away for a little while. I hope you've had a nice summer um, with some rest and some renewal and you're feeling hopefully a little more full. Some of you are going on vacation soon. Maybe some of you are coming back like I am. Uh, But the summer goes so fast, doesn't it? Here we are, August the 6th. And uh, while I was away, there was uh, an amazing vacation day camp with like 320 or so kids here and volunteers If you're new to King, you just need to know something, that the volunteers in this church are like top shelf. They are amazing people. And uh, even a couple of electricians. Yeah. Yeah, let's give them uh, all of our volunteers. That vacation day camp would not have happened. Could you imagine just a few of our staff trying to lead 320 kids? Like you don't realize on a weekly basis how many volunteers ministries require and so you're always so quick to step up, share, and invest your spiritual gifts. And um, so we just want to say a big thank you to you. And I did go to say a couple of electricians were actually out on the side of the building using their abilities to light up our space because some lights were broken and stuff. They went up on some lifts and um, just everyone's using their gifts around here. And that's a characteristic of a healthy church community. So I just wanted to affirm that today. While I was away for a number of weeks, I was hearing all these great reports. And I get to hear them, and you always don't get to hear them. So So here I am sharing some of them with you. Thanks for leading us in prayer, too, around our global and local partners. There are so many amazing people that we're partnering with all around the world, and we want to make sure that we're praying for them responsibly and giving toward their needs generously so that they have all that they have to do the work. So I know many of you are investing in uh, the mission of the church by faithfully giving tithes and over and above offerings. Please don't forget our local and global outreach partners. Um, They have families that they're raising. They are investing their life in faraway places that are uh, very often not as safe as we find life here in Canada. We have partners in Haiti and Guatemala. We have partners in Dominican Republic and uh, other places as well, restricted access nations. So you can give to global and local outreach by just marking your envelope, and all of those resources go to... uh, to the partnerships that we've, uh, we've um, initiated. So um, my family grew while we were away. Um, no, Pia's not pregnant. Um, <laughs> but we got another dog. And I, 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 don't have a, uh, I don't have a picture today. So um, yeah, we have uh, another dog, um, a Cocker Spaniel Poodle, Cockapoo. And uh, his name is Finley. And um, he's about 11 weeks old or so. And Pia and I and the girls have completely forgotten the puppy stage. But apparently there is a puppy stage. Um, so we're catching up to all the energy and all that. But you, you, he may make a guest appearance here sometime on a Sunday morning, and you, you would maybe get a chance to, to meet him. We should have a bring your dog to church Sunday. Don't you think that would be amazing? <laughs> that would be amazing chaos. Uh, uh, Anyway, at least a picture on the screen, at least we can, we can do that. So we'll, we'll see what happens over the next number of weeks. But 
Um, yeah, so we're continuing a series. Uh, I'm kind of warming up, getting back into my, uh, my rhythm of, of church life here, but it's good to see you. I haven't seen many of you in a long time, so it's good to see you and catch up. Some of you I haven't even met yet because you came during the summer. And again, my name's David. I'd love a chance to meet you out at the fireside space afterwards if you consider yourself new. Let's meet for a few minutes. It'd be good for me to get a chance to, to say hello to you and, and meet you for the first time. Um, so while I was away, you started a series based on the book of Psalms. Uh, honest expressions, and uh, we're going to take a look at another honest expression, as Pastor Christian's already mentioned. How good is good enough for a good God is where we're going to go uh, with our teaching theme for, for this morning. But the Psalms, 150 chapters, um, intended to be companions for the person of faith to take with them on the adventure of life. And whatever experience you've had in life, it is somewhat captured by the expression and experience of the psalmist. And there are a series of authors that write the book of Psalms. Uh, David is responsible for most of them. David was a poet and a musician. Uh, But the Psalms take all sorts of different flavors. You can be on a mountaintop moment and experience the praise and thanksgiving that the the Psalms bring to us. Uh, You can be struggling, wondering where is God. Uh, feeling the grip of suffering and pain, and you can identify with the psalmist in Psalm 13, how long, God? Like, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Psalm 22, and Jesus himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's reciting Psalm 22. Um, The Psalms were intended to be um, taken with us, not just something to be studied. Um, They were the hymnal, so to speak, or the songbook of the Hebrew Christians, or the Hebrew Uh, worshiping community. And um, they are opportunities for us to lament, to praise, to give thanks, to complain. It's all there. Um, If you've ever gone through a challenging season in your life, the Psalms can be wonderful, wonderful companions. Um, And so we're intended to make friends with the Psalms because in, in many ways they are our expressions too as people of faith. So um, I did want to um, acknowledge, too, that we had our worship leader, one of our worship leaders to my left, your right, who was on our platform with us today. Her name is Anita. Anita is doing an internship with us for a few months. So you'll see Anita around in our kids' ministry. We're really glad to have Anita here with us doing her internship. So if you see her, please give her a very warm welcome, okay? All right, so if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to recite our passage to ponder. And it's taken from Psalm 139, the first four verses, and verse 24, and the words are on the screen. So would you read loudly with me? Um, Here we go. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. You can see just by our passage to ponder how that could become your prayer too, right? We can offer up this kind of search me prayer And um, we believe that the Psalms and the psalmist was carried along by the Spirit. And so these are inspired writings for us and by which we get to know God and by which we get to know ourselves as well. And so the Psalms are a wonderful gift to the people of God. 
And so today what we're going to do is explore um, an ancient question that um, if we were really honest, and we're talking about honest expressions, we would say this has been true of us too. Um, if we were to be vulnerable with our neighbor, we would probably say there have been moments in our lives, and maybe they've been incredibly acute or maybe even extended moments, when we have wondered if we are good enough. Am I good enough? And the challenge with that question is, how good enough is good enough? And as the people of God, how good enough is good enough for a good God, who is infinitely good? Right. And our scripture reading during our worship set was from Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the cry of John who writes in the book of Revelation. I remember a writer once said, if the goodness of God could be measured, which it can't be because it's infinite, God's goodness is beyond our capacity to grasp, but if his goodness was somehow measurable and we were on the west coast of Canada, and God's goodness was measured by a location off the west coast, one of the islands of Hawaii, our effort of goodness to match his would be swimming out to Hawaii. And it's just not possible. We wouldn't even try it because we wouldn't make it. Our goodness doesn't measure up. So the big question is how good is good enough for a good God? Psalm 24 sort of insinuates part of that conversation point that I wanted to kind of pull out for us this morning. And so that's where we're going to spend our time in Psalm 24. And parts of it will probably be known to you at first glance when we, when we look at it together, those of you who have been around the Bible a little while. Um, but we'll take a look at three big thoughts that emerge from this passage, and hopefully by the time we're done, we will have a clearer understanding of how good enough is good enough for a good God. So Psalm 24, uh, this is the word of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and belongs to him, and everything in it, that's you, that's me. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. And then the writer poses this very important question. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who is good enough? Who's able? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those, he answers his own question, only those whose hands and hearts are pure who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, and it's important, this next part, with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. And then he asks this rhetorical question, who is the King of glory? Well, he responds in some way. He says, the Lord, strong and mighty. Not a thousand names, but at least hinting at one or two. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. And he repeats it. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the king of glory enter. 
who is the King of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. The word of the Lord, Psalm 24. I love that chapter. So, uh, three big ideas. Here's the first one for us today. God's goodness, God's goodness, settles the issues around our sense of value and our desire for belonging. It's God's goodness that resolves this issue for us. You know, after we have resolved the question, is there a God? And maybe some of you are still resolving that big question, is there a God, here with us today. After you have resolved that, where there is someone, there is something out there, you've moved from a place of atheism to a place maybe of agnosticism, or maybe you are moving towards a, some semblance of a belief in God. After you've resolved that big question, the next most important question is, what is God like? That's a very important question. And we have had many times at King Street where we have spent time exploring that big question. What is God like? We have all sorts of ideas in our heads and hearts, and we've been taught certain things, and we have inferred certain things about God. And, and some of them are really quite orthodox and quite clear because they're very clearly taught in Scripture. We see it in the natural order of things around us. At the same time, some of us have some distorted views of God. I don't know of anybody in this room today who has a crystal clear picture of who God is and what he's like. Uh, we are growing our capacity to understand God. Um, we are developing and maturing our view of the divine. Scripture is God's self-revelation. So we can read chapter and verse and grow our understanding. We go for a walk in nature and see the beauty and the complexity of all that's around us. And according to Paul in Romans 1, we see the divine character and attributes of God by what he has made. The creator has, in many ways, reflected himself off of his creation. And so we read in the first few verses of Psalm 24 that God loves this world, that it's his, it belongs to him. And every creature in it belongs to him. This has enormous implications for us as we build our own sort of philosophy of what life should be, should be all about. First and foremost, there is a creator who says what he's made is his. And um, so the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. He laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. And we can make two inferences today, and then we'll move to our second thought in just a moment. It's this. And our culture is leading, and unfortunately, people of faith are following. The culture is leading with this idea that the environment and God's good creation really matters. And can I say, I hope among friends today who will affirm this, that creation care matters, that clean drinking water is important to protect. I go for a walk most days up in my neighborhood, and I'm so thankful for protected green spaces. And I walk through these paths, and I go early morning, and I hear the birds, and I just get a chance to see, um, for the most part, a clean environment where people haven't thrown their trash. 
in the ravine. And humans come along, taxpayer dollars, hard at work, which I'm thankful for, and they cut some of the grass and they trim some of the trees, and so there's a nice path for me to walk down. It's a beautiful thing for my mental health, for my spiritual well-being. I go over to Heber Downs in Whitby. It's a beautiful, protected space. I go walking there with my family. I go walking there with friends. I go walking on my own. It's a wonderful place for us. Now, I know people need to live in certain places. We all have, um, you know, a parcel of property. Hopefully, either we're renting or owning or a place to call home. So we need to build homes, and we need to do all of that so that people have a safe place to live. But we also need to protect green space, don't we? Some of, you, some of you like green space. Others of you want to live in a concrete jungle and just that's all there is around us. But isn't it nice when God's good creation is kept as, um, as clean and as well-nurtured as possible? Because this is not just some political idea from some party somewhere. This is embedded in the DNA of our faith. The first couple of chapters of the Bible, God says to the first man, the first woman, I'm going to put you in a garden. Take good care of it. I'm going to put you over my creation, and I'm going to call you, and this is a word we don't use very often, I'm going to call you a steward. I have a sacred trust that I'm giving to you. Take good care of what I've put in your hands, but remember, ultimately, it's mine, but I'm inviting you to take good care of it, to develop it, to nurture it, to grow it, to protect it. So I think it's a good thing when we have a much broader and I would say biblically responsible view of what God has invited us to do with our lives. And taking good care of his world is important. It matters, actually. If we destroy the planet, is that a good thing? No. Thank you, brother, for that. That's a good, a good amen there. So um, let's take good care of, of God's earth. And then the people in it. People care matter. People care matters too, right? The reason why we look after one another is because every person that we know is an image bearer. Every person. I've said this before when I'm driving in my car and there's a, somebody who's on a, a bicycle and they're either going the same way or they're a jogger's coming. I go out and give them as much room as I can. And the reason I do that is because, number one, I don't want to scare them. And I'm also a walker and a cycler as well and a cyclist. And I don't want somebody kind of running me off the road. But that person who's jogging, walking, cycling, they're an image bearer, and I, wanna, I have an obligation to protect their life, right? When we drive down town Oshawa and we see people who are struggling with no place to call home, there are also people whose lives need to be protected. And even the people who are on the other side of the political aisle, they have differing views than we do, and that is super okay. And I'm allowed to look at them in the eye, and not just allowed, encouraged, and respect them. What's going on in different parts of the world where we are saying, yeah, but you're this, you're that. This is so far away from the heart of God. We, we just need to be the people who open our hands up and say, I love you, I take you as you are. We agree to disagree and it's okay, but I love you and care for you and respect you and will be there for you, right? We all share this planet and uh, we all share our own humanity. We have so much in common with each other. We're all a little fragile, aren't we? We're all a little frail. Any of you ever failed in your life at any point along the way? We have so much in common. And um, we do well. The opening verses of Psalm 24 say, you know what? You're valuable and you belong because God says so. The world we're living in is important to God and the people in it, and not just the people, 
all of his creatures are to be well cared for. My little dog needs a good place to call home, right? I scared him today. I felt so badly. I told a few friends here, we have this gate that was loaned to us by some good friends to keep him from destroying the dining room furniture. And uh, I tr- it's hard to get over. So I went to get over it. I knocked it over. And it fell on the, the kitchen uh, ceramic tile there, and it made a loud noise. And he, that was the first time he ever heard that. And he's only 11 weeks old, so he was really startled by it. And he ran behind Pia and was looking at me behind the legs. And for about a minute or two, he wasn't sure if I was a friendly or not, right? It made me feel so badly. I want this dog to feel safe with me. And you know, sometimes, because of the office, I have the immense privilege of serving as pastor. There are moments I meet people, and I hope I am so not an intimidating person, but there's moments I meet people, and because of the office I represent, they can be very intimidated by it, and it makes me feel terrible because I want people to feel safe. I want people to feel that they're at home with me. I want my dog to feel safe, right? So all the creatures, God says, take good care of them. This is what's coming out of Psalm 24. You're going to say, this pastor's a softie. Yep, he is a softie. That's the way it is. Um, Okay, number two. God's goodness and power makes our goodness possible. Um, So the question that the psalmist is raising here is, who gets to go for a hike with God? Who gets to go for a mountain climb moment with him? Um, This is really, really theologically important what I'm just about to share. So I'm going to take you somewhere, and then we'll, we'll unpack the rest of our teaching in good time. Um, the first man, the first woman, had chosen to live independent of God. They were given all the abundance of Eden, and God said, but that tree there, don't eat from the tree. And the story goes that they said, we'll do life our way, we'll define for ourselves good and evil, and they took and they ate. They sinned. Something changed dramatically. They knew they were naked. They hid themselves. They started blaming each other. There was hostility between one another. Uh, There was some sort of gap that emerged between them and God because God comes looking for them to go for a walk. And he calls out in Genesis 3, verse 9, he says, where are you? Because he wanted to go for a walk with his friends. He wanted to go for a hike with Adam and Eve again. But they were hiding. And they were afraid because God said, well, who told you you were naked? And they said that we're afraid. That's why we're hiding here. We're covering ourselves up. We feel very uncomfortable because of what happened. This experience of sin entered their story, and they didn't feel comfortable anymore with each other or with God. And unfortunately, that still plays out in all of our experience today. But God still came looking for this couple who had chosen to live independent of God because he still wanted to go for a walk with them. Okay, remember that. Very important. Then C.S. Lewis The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Most of you familiar with the story? Turned into a movie a number of years ago. It's amazing. It was so well done. It's classic literature. Um, So C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan, right, who is the God character. He's a lion. Edmund, right, one of the sons of Adam. He has formed, unfortunately, some alliance with the the, the White Witch, right? And... um, He has eaten from the the treats, the delicacies that she made available to to him. And so, if you remember near the back end of the story, 
Aslan goes for a walk with Edmund. Do you remember that part of the story? He goes for a walk with Edmund, and they're having a conversation about Edmund's failure and about his alliance with the dark side, so to speak. He went for a walk. C.S. Lewis was on to something. Uh, John, one of the good friends of Jesus, he writes in his epistle, he says that we ought to walk in the light as God is in the light, and as we do so, we have fellowship with God. So we're invited to go for a walk. It's a wonderful, beautiful metaphor. But it's not for perfect people, this walk. And this is what's very important to understand, because when we look at this passage, we might end up thinking, I have to qualify to go for a mountain hike with God. I have to be good enough for a good God, or he won't let me walk with him. Okay? Here's the best way I can help you understand Psalm 24. These three words. Going for a walk with God or hiking up the side of the mountain to be with God is about higher spiritual ground. Higher spiritual ground. God is looking for companions to walk with, to do the mountain climb with. And then he says, the writer says, who gets to go up on a higher spiritual platform with God? And then he says, this is who gets to go. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only. He says, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, underline, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So it is true that the worshiping people in the Older Testament, there were expectations of them. And David has those in mind as he writes this psalm. But it is about a higher spiritual ground that we get to occupy, where we climb the mountain, we ascend with God, and we're invited to have these four things at play in our lives. I'll be really quick. We're invited to have clean hands or to clean our hands. And what do clean hands have to do with this part of the, the teaching? If we want to go to higher spiritual ground with God, we're going to have to have clean hands, and the hands represent our actions and our behaviors. Remember what we say around here so often? Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. What does the next right thing look like for you? As you do the next right thing and then the next right thing and the next right thing, guess what happens? You climb the mountain with God. You don't earn your way into his presence. That's not what this is about. But you do ascend. Every next right thing is an ascension. You begin to climb the mountain with God. The inverse also happens, right? There's a regression that happens where every time we don't do the next right thing and we do the inverse of that, uh, what happens is we move further down, so to speak, and, and we, we miss... The, um, the opportunity to kind of rise up and elevate with God. And so we're invited to have clean hands. We're invited to have pure hearts. Um, the moment you hear pure heart, does a heavy dose of conviction settle in on you? Because sometimes it feels like, how pure can my heart actually be? Because Jeremiah writes and says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? The human heart is inclined to go left when God says go right. It's, it's the way we're 
we're wired up. We have drives, appetites, desires that are not always well-formed this side of heaven, right? We have a sinful nature that has not been fully eradicated. And I say that around here not to give you permission to say, hey, let's just sin so that grace may abound. I say that around here often so that I can say to you, let's just deal a death blow to that unhealthy shame that will keep us locked in unhealthy postures toward God. You and I cannot, in our own effort and energy, be good enough for God. There is a goodness that gets transmitted from God to us, and as we say yes to it, it has its effect. And we do become, we do become better people. We do become the 2.0 versions of ourselves. We do grow to reflect and emulate the one true God who is holy and whom we're told in Scripture that we ought to be holy because He is holy. So all of that is true. But another way of understanding this purity of heart is to understand the word to purge, literally in Hebrew. Purify and purge, they come from a similar root word. And so maybe this will help you because purity seems so unattainable for us. It almost feels like moral perfection that we can't access. And yet we're told we ought to be those kinds of people as we make our mountain climb, as we make our ascent up to be with God. If we think more about purging, ever had a cluttered basement or cluttered garage? Um, it's, it takes work and it takes intentionality and it takes unpacking some stuff and packing some stuff up and taking it to other places, either to give away to others or to find a recycle bin or something uh, to get rid of it. Because when we haven't purged in a long time, our space, our living space becomes cluttered. And if we use the analogy of the heart, if we have an uncluttered heart, we're so much more free to move, right? So maybe the word purity serves us well. Maybe the word purge might even serve us better. Maybe it's time to pay attention to those things that we have not decluttered in some time that have kept us and weighed us down maybe, and it's been a heavy ascent to go for a walk with God. Um, two more things real quick that the psalmist writes here. We're invited to worship the one true God and abandon idols. If we're going to have higher spiritual ground as our experience, we're going to have to throw off everything that hinders, the writer of Hebrews says, and the sin that so easily entangles us. Here's the reason uh, why God wants us to um, say no to idols. This is the reason why. In uh, Psalm 115, we learn um, that idolatry hurts the human heart. In the context of um, Psalm 115, the writer says that idolatry will infect us and hurt us, and God's not approving of it. It's not God-affirmed. And then the writer says in verse 8, those who make them, who make idols, will become like them. And that's the principle. We grow to resemble what we worship. So if we worship something that was never intended to be worshipped, it will have a negative impact on our lives. If we worship money, which is not a living entity, something in us will die. Uh, If we worship the one true God, ultimate reality, that's who God is. He is ultimate reality. We worship him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We begin to resemble him. And that's, what we were, that's whose image we were made in. And so when we hear about making the ascent up the mountain to go for a walk with God, he says, abandon your idols because they're not good for you. They will form you into something less than rather than elevate you to something you were intended to be. And then finally, we're invited to be people of the truth, not to lie to one another. 
Um, sometimes when we think about not lying or, be, or telling the truth, we think about just getting the facts straight. When somebody asks you in the lobby, how are you doing? Some of you with sensitive consciences may go home and say, I didn't tell them all the things that were happening. I just said I'm doing okay. Well, that's not really what they're asking you anyway. They're saying it's good to see you. Uh, they don't want you to unpack every experience you've had over the last seven days. Um, I've tried to change that to say it's good to see you rather than how are you doing, unless I really want to sit there and listen to hear how you're doing. And I do want to listen to how you're doing, but uh, we'll make an appointment for that during the week and we can have a longer conversation. Um, but this whole idea of telling the truth is, is about congruency, right? It's about authenticity. It's about honesty. Integrity is not about perfection. It's about honesty. If you're an integral person, you're claiming yourself. You're taking responsibility. You're owning you. You're not pretending. You're pushing against pretense. And, and this is what I've always longed for, and I'm happy I see it. I see little glimmers of it in the church, is that you can be your true self here. You don't have to pretend about who you are. I think, this is my opinion, I've been around a little while now. I think the culture has looked at the church, shiny, happy people, and it hasn't resonated because they say, that ain't true. You can be your self, your true self. And you can acknowledge, I always think it's important. I've practiced this in my own life. Not everybody has to know all the details about your story, but I think it's important that one person does, somebody does. It helps kind of bring the, the gap to a more small kind of human, there it is, 2.0 version of Dave. He's not pretending. He's being himself. He's being real. He talks to people about his life. It's important. It's very important. The questions, the fears, the struggles, whatever it might be, we're real people. This is what takes us to higher ground with God. Honest expressions is why we branded the series. I will tell you this, and you can take it to the bank. You will not have an elevated hike with God if you try to pretend with him. It won't work. Because he already knows the truth, and here's the other deal. You know the truth, too. And so we can talk to God about all the stuff that makes us the humans we are. And we don't have to impress him. You can't, actually, and neither can I. He doesn't see me as Pastor Dave. He sees me as David whom he made in his image and likeness and knows the best and worst parts about me and loves me anyway. Isn't that good news? So I say in funerals from time to time, when somebody I know who walked with God, I'll say, my brother, my sister, I am full confidence they're with God today in his heaven, not because they were good enough, but because they were forgiven. See the difference? You can't be good enough. If you could be good enough, Jesus died for no reason. We can't be good enough. And so the ones who are adopted into the, the family of the one true God are the ones who say, thanks be to God for his mercy and his grace. And I need salvation. I need a savior. That's the way the kingdom of God operates. So when all of a sudden we move from I need a savior and thanks be to God for his mercy and grace to self-righteousness in the world, something's gone wrong. Can I get an amen there, brothers and sisters? Yeah. If we go to self-righteousness, something's gone wrong because nobody in this room has it all figured out. Nobody in this room has nailed what it means to be fully sanctified yet. 
I would love to meet you after. I would really make a lot of time for you at that fireside space because I want to figure out what you're drinking and what you're eating and what's going on in your life because I could learn something from you. Yeah, 100%. Now, um, progress and perfection are not the same thing. God knows you can't be perfect this side of heaven, but he is inviting you to be more like him, to be progressively sanctified, to be increasingly holy, to give yourself to his ways more fully. He is asking because that's beautiful and good for you, and it glorifies and honors him. All right, one last thought here before I wander too far from my notes. Number three, God's goodness makes room for our progress. Um, here's how we'll land this teaching this morning. Moses, he climbed Mount Sinai, didn't he? He went up there to get the law, the Ten Commandments, and he went for a hike with God. Up he went, elevated spiritual encounter with God. Abraham, now uh, Moses, we'll maybe go back to him for a second. Moses was also a murderer, by the way. Murderers get invited to go for hikes with God? Apparently, according to Scripture. Abraham went for a hike with God, right? Up Mount Moriah, took his son Isaac. Abraham was a liar. He lied on multiple occasions. God invites liars to go for hikes. In this passage, it says, only those who tell the truth, though. So Abraham shouldn't have been asked to go for a hike with God to an elevated spiritual encounter where he saw a beautiful foreshadow of how Messiah would lay his life down with the ram caught in the thickets. Jesus went for a hike. He went up Golgotha's hill, and he met with the Father in ways that were beyond our capacity to fully understand, where he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, but before that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he was on Golgotha's hill, he accomplished something for us that makes our ascent possible. He laid down his life so that you and I can approach what the writer of Hebrews calls a throne of grace. Not a throne of performance or where you're some sort of meritocracy where you've got to figure it all out and get it right, have all the answers, get it all embodied here, and then all of a sudden we'll go for a walk together. Remember, God looks for his friends, Adam and Eve. They've already sinned. C.S. Lewis, Aslan, and Edmund. And we have John says, walk in the light. Yes, absolutely. And we have murderers and liars going up mountaintop experiences with God. And Jesus, most importantly, makes a way for all of us. And the writer of Hebrews says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, who has ascended, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Isn't that good news? For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, grace, of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It's almost like Jesus takes us for a long distance swim from the coast, the west coast of BC, out to Hawaii. And he's strong enough to get through all the waves. And he just says, hold on to me and I will get you there. And his good enough becomes my good enough. And thanks be to God, we get to go for a walk with him. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, Father, thank you today that we are invited to go for a hike up mountains with you. Clean hands, pure heart, not lifting up our souls to idols and speaking the truth. Yes, 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 and yes. We say yes to it all. And, Lord, at the same time, we acknowledge today that we don't earn our way. We don't somehow perform in order to get our ticket punched. But because of your grace and your mercy, you still save murderers and liars and the likes of us. And so, Lord, thank you that we are good enough for a good God because of your mercy and your grace and because of the finished, beautiful, atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now boldly approach a throne of grace as we are doing together now, finding mercy in our time of need. Lord, I pray for the mercy that needs to be poured out into the hearts and minds and lives of my friends today. May it come in generous fashion. May the grace of God, as we describe it, as a deep end, may you help us, Lord, to be way over our heads in your grace. And help us, Lord, to believe that you are always with us, walking beside us. And so, Lord, for the one today who's here who feels the sting of not good enough, I pray, Lord, that this uh, moment in time will help um, adjust them in some ways so that they can see goodness a little bit differently and so they can see that the love of God has the power and the Spirit of God gives them the ability to choose the next right thing. And when they don't, your mercy will meet them there. And so we thank you for that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.